Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Um, However you feel about the Supreme Court decision a few weeks ago that is overturning Roe v. Wade, It's clear the abortion issue is not going away. The battle moves now to mostly each state, and mainstream media would have us believe, though, that the justices acted against what most Americans want, and that a fringe group, you know, of religious zealots um, really is the cause. Um, You just Google top news stories concerning abortion, and what comes up are mainly about the angst and anger at the decision. For example, you've got the New York Times op-ed today. Um, The anti-abortion movement's contempt for women is worse than I imagined. Uh, Bloomberg.com says reality bites for workers looking to abortion-friendly states. Uh, The Detroit Free Press op-ed says Michigan doctors fear real and dangerous future post-roll without abortion care. Um, However, you know, even the latest Fox News poll on abortion shows 61 percent of Americans disapprove of the overturning of Roe and just 35 percent approve. So the question is, you know, are the numbers the end of the story? You know, did the justices act in a way that goes, you know, severely against the grain of this cultural moment? Uh, Daniel Darling is director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the questions um of America's really support, if Americans really support abortion, you know, that's really the question. And he wrote an article looking a bit deeper into some of the polls, like any poll, you know, like any poll, the results can depend on what questions you ask or what results you reveal. And Dan joins me now to explain more. Welcome, Dan. Well, well uh, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be on here with you and uh, delighted to, uh, to talk about all this stuff. Well, thank you for for being on here. You know, the title of the article is Do Americans Really Support Abortion? Now, the numbers, if you look at just strictly abortion numbers, like you, like I said, the Fox, New poll, Fox News poll that's, that asked the question, do you disapprove or, or, or approve of the justices overturning Roe v. Wade? And 61 percent said we disapprove, 35 percent said approve. But w- w- what do Americans really feel about this? Well, I think it's interesting if you if you read the mainstream media headlines and some of the um, you know some of the political leaders, particularly on the left, you would think that Supreme Court is suddenly turned right and uh, they've made a decision that's deeply at odds with where most Americans are. But the truth is, it's a lot more complicated when it comes to abortion. I think it is true if you look at all the polling that Americans by about between five and ten percent. Um, oppose the overturning of Roe. But then if you actually look at the rest of the questions that people are asked in multiple surveys, and we did a survey with LifeWay Research, mm-hmm. um, 
and it's very consistent with what you see from like the um, the Harris, the Harvard Harris poll, uh, Pew, other places. Uh, Americans overwhelmingly support, for instance, significant restrictions on abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about seventy percent of Americans support restrictions after twelve weeks. Almost uh, a majority support it after six weeks. About forty nine percent after six weeks. Mm. And a majority of Americans, um, in our poll. Uh, when we asked them, when does life begin? 35% said at conception, another uh, almost 20% said um, uh, at the first heartbeat. So most Americans see life in the womb. And then you you have um, the kinds of uh, reasons for abortion when they're polled. Uh, most mm-hmm. Americans support, um, you know, exceptions for uh, rape and incest, exceptions for the life of the mother. But then when you start to get into elective abortion, which is 92%, according to the uh, uh, Guttermick Institute, 92% of abortions are elective. Um, yeah. The kinds of things, you know, so the, the kind of um, policies that, say, the left and the media are calling for, abortion up into the moment of birth, is really deeply at odds with most Americans. Um, the other thing I would say is this. When you pull this issue, it doesn't register as a top issue. And yeah. so I think what's going to happen in the fall is people are, a lot of the folks in the media are going to have a rude awakening when they realize most Americans are not as freaked out about the overturning of Roe as they are. I think it's 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 an interesting cultural moment because one of the things that we, we know as for the last uh, couple of generations is that um, the younger generations are actually becoming more pro-life than you know, gen- the older generations and the people who were a part of the 1970s and 80s, and you know, where Roe v. Wade actually became legal, you know, abortion became legal. You know, they were very adamant about it. Um, but as time went on, as the generations came out, I, I feel like, and I don't know what the numbers are, but I know I've seen these numbers that that more young people are actually becoming more pro-life. Um, what do you find that as well? I do. I think we've had several generations now that have seen ultrasound pictures on the, the refrigerator of uh, future brothers and sisters, uh, future uh, nephews and nieces and cousins and and friends. Yeah, the ultrasound uh, picture is actually part of the baby book now. You know, it, it used it to really be. Is. It used to be just and the birth picture. Now it's now it's the pre-birth picture. Yeah, and so I think people know that there's a there's a there's a baby there. I also think uh, the the pro-choice community used to use the language uh, safe, legal, and rare. In other words, they admitted that this was a a difficult choice that a mother faced, but that she should have the choice. Today, mm-hmm. the language is much more extreme, and yeah. they're they're talking a, a, about abortion as a moral good. It's no big deal. People saying I got one, it's not a big deal. We all know that's not true. We all those know there's deep scars. Uh, and I, and I think Roe versus Wade, uh, I think David French said it really well, but he said the Roe versus Wade decision um, really deeply divided us and divided our politics. Um, it it It's a moral stain on the country. Mm-hmm. And what the Supreme Court did was not – I think part of the reason that even a majority opposes the overturning of Roe is because there's a fundamental confusion about what it did based on a lot of the way the media reports well, it. But Well, let's talk it, about it, that because I think it's important um, – you know, to talk about what Roe actually did or the overturning of Roe actually did. And I think a lot of people don't understand that aspect of it. And I don't know why that um, people are getting so angry about something that actually just is now 
the responsibility of each state, right? That's basically what it did. That's exactly what it did. Uh, if you read the concurrence by, for instance, um, Justice Kavanaugh, he said uh, there's nothing in the Constitution that talks about abortion. He said the court shouldn't be deciding this issue. Um, and they basically sent it back to the states so that the states can say, how do we want to restrict this? And I think we'll see uh, there's quite a few states that will say um, we're going to ban abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a handful of states, quite a few states on the liberal spectrum that are going to expand abortion. I mean, uh, New York is one of those. Certainly New York is one of those. That's right. And then there's got, you're going to have a lot of states in the middle, kind of like Virginia, Pennsylvania, other states who are going to be somewhere in the middle. And um, pro-life activists are going to work. You know, probably first toward a uh, 15-week ban and see work backward from there. So it's a, it's a historic moment. Uh, one of the things I think we should think about is the perseverance and the steadfastness of the pro-life movement, coming year after year, uh, refusing to go away. A marginalized movement, a movement that uh, is largely mocked by the mainstream culture, yeah. by pop culture, by academia, even by a lot of conservatives. And so I think the perseverance of the movement is really something. I think it's very interesting, though, because one of the things that people try to say is that it's not life because, you know, it hasn't been born yet. But when you actually look at the scientists, when you poll scientists and you ask them when ask them when life begins, um, so many scientists polled now say, well, it begins at conception. And that is not a political decision. It's not a political observation. It really is more of a biological, scientific um, observation. Um, and that's got, I mean, unless people want to ignore science, you know, that's going to be part of the prevailing, um, you know, worldview, basically. I think so. I mean, one of the arguments is that, you know, it's, it's okay that you think that, um, Human beings are, you know, at the earliest conception are human beings and worthy of life, but that's your religion and don't impose it on me. Um, but we're really, we're making a number of arguments. We are ma- making religious arguments. And and everybody, by the way, brings their religion to the Right, square, right, everybody does. Whether or not they accept it. And so when people say that, they're just asking us to sort of stand down and back away. And, you know, it, it's impossible for a Christian not to bring his faith to the public square because that's who he is, who she is. Um, but, but if you actually understand, science. though, too, so that everybody's bringing their their faith yeah. to the public square. It's just that, you know, the organized religion part of it is the one that they're trying to say, no, you can't come into the public square. But everybody is bringing their fundamental belief systems to the public square um, and their ideas of what's moral and what's immoral is part of that. And so I, I think it's such a it's such a disservice uh, and, and sort of an ignorant almost, you know, unexamined um, ignorance um, about what really faith really is. So, I mean, I think you're right. Everybody's bringing their religious arguments to the public square. But one of the things that's happening, though, today, which I hadn't seen, you know, probably a decade ago, is more religious people like even like, you know, um, you know, Senator Warnock uh, down in Georgia and talking about, you know, actually saying that the Bible's okay with abortion. You know, I've never seen that argument mm. before. Um, I, you know, like the uh, the um, Serene Jones at uh, theological at um, mm-hmm. a Union Theological Seminary. I mean, I mean, she's she's she'll tout the good of abortion. Uh, this is something I've not seen. Are you seeing this with religious people talking about the good of abortion? Where is that coming from? 
Yeah, I think I do think, unfortunately, there is a, a segment of the kind of um, religious left, the progressive left, that is um, kind of sanctioning abortion and and kind of doing some interesting uh, hermeneutics and finding a pathway to abortion. And I think for that, that's sort of a political uh, position in search of a theological justification. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of us do that on all sides, but you really can't read the scriptures and, and not see that human beings um, are have dignity and worth. I mean, King David in Psalm 139 talking about his own conception and how God was there at every step of the way, mm-hmm. uh, crafting right. him in the, in the mother's womb, and how the Bible gives personhood to the unborn at early stages. David does this in First Kings. Yes, you, er, you sorry, knitted, Psalm, Psalm knitted me together in my mother's womb. Yes, that's, I mean, that's, that's right. very, very and, powerful. Yeah, and in Jeremiah, uh, God talking to the prophet Jeremiah saying, I saw you in your mother's womb. You are a person. You're a human being. You think of Jesus was an unborn baby. John the Baptist uh, leapt in his mother's womb when the announcement of Jesus was was given. And so it's you really can't read scriptures to uh, and, and find that. But, but as much as we're making a religious argument, to go back to an earlier point, mm-hmm. we're also making a scientific argument. Right. I think the science is really clear. It's hard to deny that babies have um, their own DNA. They have, um, you know, they're developing um, hair and, and fingernails. They have heartbeats. They feel pain at early stages. And it's hard to deny. And I actually think subconsciously, even though folks say they're pro-choice, when you're not talking about abortion, people give personhood to the unborn. When someone announces, for instance, that they're pregnant um, and they post it on social media, they almost always refer to the, to the unborn baby as a he or a she or mm-hmm. uh, as a person, as a future right. person. And so I think we all know what's going on um, inside the womb. Well, let's take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Dan Darling from the... Uh Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We'll be right back. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we're back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Dan Darling, um, who's talking, who's from the uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, talking about the abortion numbers, what they actually say. And, you know... Um, Dan, I was wondering about this issue, you know, and I, I, I'm going to talk about anecdotally something that happened to me because I just, you know, I live in, um, you know, a very liberal uh, city um, and I was at a Shakespeare in the Park performance in Central Park last week. Love Shakespeare. And uh, a city official actually welcomed the audience with a bit of the bard-like statement. Um, it was all in fun and, and, you know, kind of welcoming people back from COVID and celebrating a live performance. Um and, and and then you knew he, he was preaching to the choir in the Big Apple when he made a reference to these six crazy people, you know, <laughs> something like that um, in the Big Apple. And they, and they basically um, – how they must work to change that. And you've got this big applause from people. And, you know, I, I guess like I say, you know, is, is New York this bubble – um, or is it reflective of the general public? I mean, I think this is it, – it, it would be okay in New York for a city official to come up and, you know, and, and, and talk against a Supreme Court decision on abortion. But if 
if if a, if a, if a city official did the opposite and applaud it, I mean, of course, he'd get booed. So, you know, what is New York in this in this context? I do think there's a bit of a of a bubble that um, progressives and liberals live in, you know, that I think it, it's not that um, the country is, you know, majority pro-life in the sense that you and I would think of it. But they're more pro-life than I think um, people in that bubble realize. And I think it's not just on this issue. I think it's on a number of issues when you start talking about um, gendered sexuality and, and, and some of these other issues, there's such a sort of reinforced bubble there that, um, that I think actually hurts, uh, them understanding where people are and why, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes those who live in there have a hard time understanding. I, I also think the Roe versus Wade decision and, uh, the, uh, the overturning of it with, um, with Dobbs really revealed how sacrosanct abortion is on the left like yeah uh, that that is it, it, unfortunately sort of a cardinal value um that they feel like their world is is um caving in I, I think it's interesting too lauren that there's been all this talk in the last year and a half or, or so or a couple of years about preserving democracy mm-hmm. and um the institutions of democracy which i i agree with i i think Every generation, we have to really work hard to preserve those institutions. We can't take it for granted just because we're in America that this is always going to be going to endure. But it's often, you know, used as a weapon against the right. And yeah, yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, the hypocrisy of, of that by some when it comes to like the Supreme Court, you know, trying to delegitimize the Supreme Court, trying to undermine the Supreme Court. Um Interesting when you look at polling that Harvard Harris polls show that American people actually don't like when um, our leaders really criticize the court and try to not just criticize it, but yeah. try to delegitimize it and say that this it doesn't it's not legitimate and all that. So I think they're sort of in, in, in a bubble there. I think, you know, you're right. I mean, I mean, I remember just listening to this sort of uh, Tim, Kel- Tim Keller sermon about, um, you know, morals and law and justice and all of those kinds of things and ideas is that, you know, liberal culture basically thinks there's there's nothing higher than my heart. There's nothing higher than my feelings, mm-hmm. nothing higher than that. And, you know, the Bible says, oh, yes, there is something higher than your heart. There's something higher than, um, you know, what you feel. And I think, you know, liberals basically get the idea that my heart is the highest I can hold. But, it, but then Keller brings out these statements like, well, if you live up to your heart, and I'm living up to my heart. Why can't I live up to my heart if you can live up to yours? Why is it that my right. heart's wrong? What, by, what standard do you live by by which you can say my heart is wrong? And see, that becomes the argument. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, when they're looking at the Supreme Court, they, you know, they, they look at because the Supreme Court made a decision that they don't like, the Supreme Court must be wrong. Right. And and, and instead of looking at it, okay, you know, this is the standard that's going to be higher than, you know, my objective, my subjective feeling of what's right and wrong. And I don't think liberals actually get that way. Um, um, One of the and I have to bring out these two stories because I want to bring these out because they're two new stories. One is very, very um, heinous and and tragic. And the other is almost kind of lighthearted. But but it basically brings up the abortion issue. And one of the big media splash in the anger over this 10-year-old rape victim who had an abortion and the doctor in trouble for not reporting the rape, um, you know, and, and people are saying, you know, like, look at this. Wouldn't 
you know, why would you force a 10-year-old girl, a rape victim, to have a child, you know, which your body probably couldn't stand? And, um, you know, common sense says, you know, she should have an abortion. What would be your answer to that? Well, first of all, these are really tragic um, situations. And unfortunately, they're they're too common. I think there's a number of things we have to think through. I think, number one, we have to think through at the very minimum, how do we how do we prevent uh, young women from being exploited uh, in our communities? And they all too often are. Um, I think that the focus and the emphasis of this entire story should be on um, finding this um, this rapist yeah. and and arresting him and, and bringing justice to the situation. Which yeah, there was not like really a lot of talk did. about the rapist. There was not really talk about the injustice right. and the, the 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 heinousness of this of this 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 act. I mean, it was just it was all about yeah. the abortion. Um, so yeah. that and and I do think I do think. Um, we need to talk more about that. And why is this happening? You know, who is not reporting this? You know, it's, it's child rape, it's child molestation. Uh, uh, It should be reported. I think our country has mandatory reporting laws. So people should not let an ideological agenda get in the way of reporting, first of all, to the authorities, what exactly happened. Um, um, And so these are really hard, tragic situations. I will say that when it comes to abortion in America, these are um, these kinds of situations are a small percentage of the abortions in America, right. and they're and they're hard, difficult, and and. But this is know, what's this different... is what's being held up, though, to justify abortion mm-hmm. on demand. Right. But I think right. that's what and, the and, problem and, and, becomes. And we can have a debate about the ten-year-old. That's a whole another like difficult kind of debate we're going to yeah. have. I mean, regardless of how you feel about it, this is a debate you're going to have. And then you got to then you got to really get down to brass tacks and really understand like why did this girl get raped? Who is this rapist? Mm-hmm. What happened in this situation? And then the other part is like, you know, do not hold this up as justification for abortion on demand. That's exactly right. And I think this is kind of what's happening. It's sort of a red herring to, to not have Americans wrestle with the moral choice that is abortion or the, the moral question that is abortion. And I think most uh, pro-life folks um, have have in their, you know, they come to this issue by saying um, there are cases where the, the mother's life is at risk. There are pregnancies where, the, where if the mother gives birth, both the child and the mother will probably die. Yeah. So there, you have to make the tragic choice uh, to save the life of the mother. Um, and and almost all pro-lifers feel that way. Um, all the pro-life laws at the state levels protect those, uh, you know, protect that uh, for, for doctors yeah. making those decisions. And so we're really not talking about something that the pro-life community is talking about. What the pro-life community is saying is for the vast majority of abortions where it's it's just simply – the child is seen as an inconvenience to someone's flourishing. Yeah. We're saying, actually, a child's not an inconvenience. A child is uh, made in the image of God, has dignity and worth, and mother and child can flourish. Now, I do think, you know, and, and many pro-life uh, leaders are saying this and we're putting a lot of things into place and thinking through policy. We do need to create a society where mothers do feel like they can raise their children to flourish, where they do have the support in their communities to flourish. And I think we need to um, 
to really champion that because we want to see healthy, uh, stable uh, family life. Yeah. One of the other things that uh, struck me about this story is um, something I read probably even 10, 15 years ago about how young girls are starting their periods earlier and earlier and earlier. It used Mm -hmm. to be about 12 years old is when a girl would probably start menstruating and, um, you know, maybe 11 if she were, you know, kind of really, you know, mature. But then someone commented about the level of hormones that are in the foods, the processed foods that we eat, and that it may be contributing. And I may be, you know, you, you got to look this up because I'm not going to say I was the expert, but I do remember the article saying something about the hormones that are in the foods that we eat that are creating this scenario by which girls are, are starting their periods earlier and earlier and earlier, um, you know, even like to nine years old, which is unheard of. Um, in, uh, you know, it was unheard of when I was, when I was that age, um, you know, a girl might start when she was 12 and that was pretty much the idea. And then maybe, you know, the later late bloomers would be like 13 or 14 and that would be about it. Um, and so there was that window where she became mature and started puberty. And I think that's another thing that's very, that's wild about this story and that's uncomfortable about this story. And like you said, this is not something that should be held up as the norm for justifying abortion on demand. The other story, though, is I think kind of lighthearted. And of course, you know, liberal media kind of made a big deal out of it. A woman down in Texas, she was 34 weeks pregnant and she um, she was in the HOV lane, you know, the high occupancy, high occupancy mm-hmm. vehicle lane. And you had to have two people in the car in order to be in this lane. Well, she was just one and she was pregnant, 34 weeks pregnant. So the the police stopped her and said, you know, is there anybody else in the car? He's like thinking, he's like, well, and she pointed to her belly, the, uh, the unborn child. And so it became this sort of political, um, you know, uh, kind of laugh with, with the liberals as saying, you know, OK, you believe that an unborn baby is a person. Um, so but she's and so she used that to go into the HOV lane. It's like I'm, I'm two people. There are two people here. And so the police officer said something to the fact that. Um, you know, it's not two people in two seats. Then that was, you know, that was the issue. This is the kind of thing you're going to see from the liberal I mean, liberal left is that it's going to make fun of you. And you know, well, if you okay, if you say it's two people, you know, then you know you could be in the HOV lane. I mean, what do you think of things like that? Well, I think it's an it's an interesting application. Um, you know, I in some ways I applaud her for saying okay. If we're going to recognize uh, the unborn baby as human life, there's two people here. And it is a recognition that there are two people there. Um, Now, I think those who are pro-choice wanted to kind of advance that argument as a way to sort of own pro-lifers and say, well, look, see, look, look where your uh, pro-life laws have taken you. Do you really want this? And I think most pro-lifers would say, sure. Sure, why not? Uh, Why not? Allowing a lady, a pregnant lady to drive in the HOV lane. I don't think you can find a single pro-lifer who would oppose that. Um, but I, I do think it's a tacit acknowledgement that there are two people there. Um, we see this sometimes even when um, there's there's violence against a woman who has a baby and the baby is tragically uh, killed in the womb. Right. There's a lot of states that will charge the perpetrator with double homicide right. because there's a recognition, okay, there's a baby here. And so I, hey man, I think I, I would be totally in favor of um, pregnant women being able to drive in the HOV lanes. Uh, I'm the father of four children, my wife had four pregnancies, and I would have 
been totally okay with her being able to drive in the HOV lane. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think any of us would oppose that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, before we wrap up, I just like, well, where are we headed, you know, in terms of um, where are we headed in terms of the abortion battle and uh, just moving forward? How do you see it playing out in the next few months, um, the next few well, years? I do think we, you know, obviously the fall of Roe is a major victory for the pro-life movement, the end of the culmination of almost half a century of faithful work at all levels, really introducing to the American conscience this moral vocabulary that the most mm-hmm. defenseless among us have dignity and worth. But I do think our battle's just beginning. Uh, I think now uh, we have to continue to fight for the sanctity of life, for a culture of life on a number of fronts. Um across the states to try to pass protections for unborn life. And that's going to be a, a, a battle in many states. There are many states that are very liberal and not even close to that. And that's going to be another long, um, you know, sort of uh, long march to victory there. I also think we have a lot of work to do, even in the culture, to mm-hmm. continue to make the case to every generation that um, unborn human life is worthy of dignity and protection. Um, I don't think we can rest on our laurels. I don't think we can just assume that younger generations uh, are going to know this. And so I, I think we have to continue to make the case, the cultural case. Uh, I also think we need to think of creative ways to supplement the ways that the pro-life movement is, is already coming around mothers and their babies. Uh, I think of the network of pregnancy resource centers that are doing amazing work right, and right. under attack, under attack, by the way, by people who say they support mothers, but that's an, another story. But I think there's more we can do to come around these centers. There's, there's things we can think about in terms of public policy that may help um, stabilize families uh, economically. Um, and, I, and I just think we also just need a spiritual awakening uh, because we can do a lot with our laws and we should. We can do a lot with, um, you know, resourcing mothers and their babies. But ultimately, as Christians, we feel there's there's a spiritual battle here. And I think... Yeah, uh, yeah. We have to we have to pray for that as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Dan, darling, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, well, thank you for having me, Lauren. I really appreciate. It. I really appreciate uh, your work and, and what you're doing there. Oh, thank you so much. Well, Dan, darling, who is the the uh, director of the Land Center for Cultural um, Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? I, I, may, I imagine that's Richard Land, right? That is Richard Land, yes. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.